0: Uh, but I believe there is a, it's critical for a business that's going to scale to have a true investor come alongside them earlier than later in their development. Because the, the nice thing about that is you're both incentivized um, to focus on what really matters, and that's generally positive cash flow. <laughs> you know, if you can have a healthy balance sheet and get to where you're generating positive cash flow and you understand markets and revenue and uh, the basics of running a good business, you get into strategy. A true investment fund has those capabilities.
1: Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. Today, we're excited to introduce to you John Halverson, an international business leader with 25 years of experience in investing, development, and strategy consulting. John's impressive career spans two of the world's leading food and agricultural multinationals, Cargill and Land of Lakes, where he served as vice president. His journey has taken him into three continents with a notable stint in Tanzania, where he had led a talented team in executing over 50 loans to small market enterprises and across East and West Africa. John has witnessed the transformational power of thriving businesses achieving scale in challenging contexts. He holds a B.A. from Wheaton College, an M.B.A. from International Business, from Regis University, and a demon from Bethel University in faith, investing, and theology. Beyond his work in impact investing, John's passions extend to mountain climbing, canoeing, skiing, and many other things outdoors. John is a good friend, and he is a partner at Talaton. Impact Investing Fund, and we are so glad to have him. John, John, and I have been walking down this road of impact investing and having conversations going back from 2018, and he has a wealth wealth of information. And so we're just so excited to have you. Thank you for coming today. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me in. We're so glad. Well, hey, John, give us a little bit of overview. So you got that little bio about you, but but tell us a little bit more about your you, your family, your faith journey, and then also your journey to Taliton.
0: Well, thanks. I, first and foremost, am a follower of Jesus and was saved by his grace. Uh, Part of my story is that um, my wife actually led me back to faith. I grew up in a wonderful Christian family. Uh, but I made bad choices starting in middle school, and uh, honestly, my life by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was I was headed in the wrong direction. But my wife invited me to a youth conference. Uh, you might call it missionary dating in high school, and and I went with her because I had so much respect for her. She was respected across the high school, and at that youth conference, um, I rededicated my life to Christ and in high school and decided on on Wheaton College as a result. I really had this huge hunger to understand the scriptures, theology, and I I thought Wheaton might be the place to do that. I have four wonderful children, ages 17 to 27. Um, They really grew up in England and Africa. We've traveled and lived on three continents as a family in five or six states, so uh, we've been mobile. But God has been good. I'm thankful for His grace and favor with uh, uh, my family. That's great. And tell
1: us a little bit more about how did you? Uh, you've you've had a lot of things as we read in the bio from Cargill to Land O'Lakes and now Talaton. Like how's that? What does that journey look like? <laughs> yeah. And, and also a stint in Africa. Uh.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> I, uh, After graduating from Wheaton College with a degree in theology, uh, I was uh, hired by Dr. Jerry White, the president of Navigators, to be his assistant. And during those three years at Glen Erie here in Colorado Springs, I was exposed to this idea that you could uh, integrate uh, business development um, and and be a, an investor, uh, really for the purpose of, of serving uh, the kingdom for the missions. To, the Navigators were at the front end of making this big pivot to embracing that when I was there, those three years. So, that was fundamental in creating a vision for me of doing what I'm doing now. Uh, so, I'm deeply thankful for those three years with uh, the Navigators. Um, during that time, I got an MBA and then was hired into Cargill, 15 years at Cargill, most of my time in mergers and acquisitions and strategy um, all over the world, very much international. And during my 15th year at Cargill, my head and heart were really disconnected. And I couldn't figure out why. Uh, I was making decent money, and everything seemed to be going fine, Mm -hmm. but I really wanted to get much more directly involved with something impactful. I wanted to integrate my faith more openly to what I was doing, and uh, God led me to an opportunity to move to Tanzania with a foundation that was investing in mid-sized businesses. So we left Cargill, moved to Tanzania. During that time, got deeply involved with investing in mid-sized businesses in Liberia, Malawi, and most of the time in East Africa. And I really grew to love the continent, the entrepreneurs. There's many. We'll talk about that later, I think. And to see the upside when things go right, you can have significant impact from a business going to scale.
2: John, I just need to clarify because I don't know your story as well. When you say you were investing, were you investing on behalf of other people some money in those small businesses and mid-sized businesses at that stage?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, that particular foundation did loans up to 250000 to mid-sized businesses that needed a lot of help. These businesses often struggle with basic things like good accounting, um, how to do a really good strategy, um, they all think they, they all want a truck. It's kind of, they sit down with them and they say, hey, a truck's going to solve all our issues, we can pick stuff up, we can take it to market, and the uh, truck um, in Africa uh, often becomes a community asset when, and not necessarily a business asset. <laughs> so we would often say, I don't think necessarily a depreciating asset that's $40,000 when you're $100,000 is going to solve all your issues. So you sit down and you talk through, and maybe they do need a truck, but you really want it to be in the context of a business plan. And we would do a lot of what I would call business development early stage at that time. And it was investing foundation money. It wasn't uh, what I'm doing now with Talenton, but it was similar.
1: So give us a little bit of an overview. I've heard you speak about this before, and it's just super helpful. Give our listeners an overview of what do we mean by impact investing and faith-driven
0: investing? Impact investing is really uh, putting money to work. with the intent of a return, um, with the stated goal of some kind of a transformation. Um, I, I like to differentiate it from another great form of investing, which is what you might call socially responsible investing, ESG. It gets a lot of buzz these days. It's That's more about screening things out that are unsavory, which is still valuable. Impact investing is we're going to invest knowing that if this business goes to scale, it can transform many lives. It can have what it's called positive screening. So we spend a lot of time really analyzing and due diligence. What is the true impact this business is doing? We, We care a lot about jobs and meaningful work. It's deeply theological for us. So, um, So impact investing is is much smaller than socially responsible investing, but it's growing fast as a place where people can say, I can put my values against into something where I think the outcome will be something that uh, is in line with my faith or biblical worldview or whatever I'm I'm striving to do with uh, with my resources. Oh, perfect, and
1: people can use um, uh, kind of different streams of capital for impact investing too. You can use your your personal or private capital. You can use your charitable capital um, as well for for impact investing.
0: Yeah, impact investing is uh, um, generally private, not public. So um, there's a whole different number of Pockets of capital that can go towards it, certainly, yeah. So I would say a lot of uh, private funds, either equity or debt funds, are in that category. That's generally for kind of accredited or qualified investors. The beauty of, of of investing from a donor advised foundation is that you can use charitable capital and you can get a return back to that same account. And um, there's a whole lot to unpack there, but I'll leave it at that for now.
2: So tell us, John, about your work with Teleton and how that—and we'd love to hear some stories of businesses you've invested in and the impact that they've had. And I've heard some of these that are just fabulous.
0: Yeah. First of all, talented is the Greek word found in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. And we chose that very intentionally because we wanted to be outward about our faith. We didn't want to surprise people down the road. That all everybody involved in the Talented team, our board, and our investors are really motivated by their faith. So the Greek word and the parable of the talents is Talented, and we like to say we really want to help those two and five talent servants put their resources to work for redemptive or kingdom impact. And when Jesus was talking to his leadership team at that time, he knew he was heading to the cross in about six, seven days. So this was his succession speech, and this was laying out his expectations. And he said, don't sit on these resources and do nothing. That was condemned. He said, put them to work. In essence, take risks. And, and when you take those risks, um, you can get exponential returns. It's not necessarily only financial returns. He used a financial term, one talent in his 16 years of pay. So the five-talent servant got a lifetime's worth of pay. He could have sat there and done nothing, lived a life of leisure, but he put it to work, and Jesus said, "'Well done, thou good and faithful servant.'" In that very same speech to his disciples, he rolled straight into the sheeps and the goats. And what's that say? Serve the least of these. And that's the whole goal of talent and is to really help people put their talents to work, not just financial, spiritual, social, experiential, natural. There's various forms of capital. Jesus was saying, all these resources are mine, put them to work, um, and don't forget to serve the least of these. And Talentin, our fund, believes that serving the least of these is best done most of the time by giving them meaningful work, letting them use their God-given gifts and abilities to reach a state of of, of living where they can give back, where they can think for the f- future, invest in their kids, and, and really live um, you know a, a lifestyle that glorifies God versus poverty. Talentin has been... Uh, been-
1: in effect in investing now for the last five years. Yeah, five years. Okay, and, um, and and just to differentiate, we've we, we've had conversations around impact investing before, and we'll continue to have conversations around impact investing here on the on the Generosity Now podcast. Uh, we're we're big fans of of it, and uh, and so hopefully you are as well, uh, <laughs> listener. But um, um, one thing I really appreciate about Taliton that's uh, kind of a unique. This is get, getting in the weeds, but I still think it's it's neat and it's good for people to know. Um, there a lot of times there's different funds that are available. They're open for only just a short period of time, mm-hmm. as they're Raising up funding and then they're going to go into the the deployment of that capital phase. Something that's very unique about Talatin is it's an evergreen fund. Uh, this fund is an evergreen fund, which means that um, it, people are able to to invest in it every single month or every single quarter. And you guys are then deploying that that those funds, you know, as you receive them into new companies. Is
0: that right? Yeah, yeah, you get that very uh, very much right, Eric. We're we're called what's called an evergreen fund. I don't want to confuse anybody. What that means is that we're open ended, and for us that was very missional. We see the need to invest in mid-sized, values-driven, high-impact businesses in places like Africa far into the future. And a big advantage over a closed fund is we can keep doing that as we raise more capital. Our pipeline is really been full of great investment opportunities. We've looked at over 200 companies, and so far we've made 13 investments. And we really are selective in choosing those values-driven, purpose-driven, scalable business models that are really serving often thousands of the least of these of uh, people that otherwise might not have meaningful work with good jobs. So for, uh, what that means, Eric, is that uh, we particularly love when we get investors from donor advised foundations like NCF um, because uh, they have the right hearts and it fits our mission and what we're trying to do with impact. We do a, a quarterly update for everybody on, uh, on their returns, but also an impact report. And we share stories of impact. We quantify impact. It's really critical for us to do that uh, for our mission, uh, for our charter, but also because that's uh, where our hearts are. And and God has blessed us with wonderful faith-driven and some just values-driven CEOs who share the idea that uh, going to scale, getting bigger is not for the sake of only financial returns, but uh, for the benefits of the community, of of, uh you know of, of really good creating meaningful work for thousands
2: so when you talk about the because there's a timetable to this investment it's not that like a mutual fund where they can get it back quickly what's what are they looking at as the investors
0: yeah I'll, I'll just explain some basic terms because I think that's helpful yeah so we have a what's called a four-year lockup on capital and um our, the minimum investment around is, is typically fifty thousand. Um, we have many that are in the range of a hundred thousand uh, even two, up to two million and and we uh, look for businesses between five hundred thousand dollars and five million dollars in sales and and we our average investment size per investment is one to three million um, so we really get deeply involved we view due diligence so due diligence for those who don't know is when you really start to dig in deep to an investment to decide whether or not it's a fit and you turn over stones and it's it's a it's a it's a, it's the unfolding of trust you know every business has skeletons in the closet and we always tell them when we first meet them please tell us your your battle scars please tell us what the problems are we'd rather have you tell us now than fight it later and 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 we really begin ministry during due diligence because that's where we start to share about ethics about our values and we hear you see their hearts and we find stuff, and then we have honest conversations. And then we structure an investment that we feel like is the best possible opportunity for this business to scale. It's not just about making great financial returns. Not at all. It's more about helping this business get a financing arrangement of some kind that really is a good fit for them with their cash flow so they could scale. And when they double or triple in size, or sometimes 5 or 10x, some of them in our portfolio are doing that now, we already are seeing the exponential impact on meaningful work. We also spend a lot of time post-investment Um, doing leadership, mentoring, and development. We have some great Christian organizations that do mentoring at the highest levels of quality and they're um, mentoring some of our CEOs. Uh, We do that within our talent and team. I serve on four or five boards of our investments. It's a great opportunity over the long haul. That's the beauty of this kind of investing Mm -hmm. is you're guaranteed to have a five, six year relationship with these companies. And during that time, things happen. So it's a wonderful platform for all of us, a mutual exchange of spiritual growth. And that's uh, the beauty of doing something where you're in it for a while and then we exit so they don't become dependent on us.
2: And it's a planned exit, and that's what's helpful also, that they understand that, so that it's very helpful to them. Absolutely. So that's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Now, I know you said you moved the family over to Tanzania, so you have a heart for Africa, and most of the investments have stayed in Africa so far, correct?
0: Yeah, we're only—great a question. We're only in uh, East Africa. Uh, we do have, in the medium or longer term, to expand beyond that. We'll always be in countries that uh, millions of people need— Good jobs, you know. So uh, Africa is just a place where it's loaded with talent, and you know people look at that continent and say, "Why Africa?" So um, the reason is that as the world goes to nine billion people by twenty thirty five. The world's going to need everything that's in Africa. They have the most untapped minerals in the world by far. They have the most undeveloped arable agriculture land in the world by far. And what I would say is they have, and most people don't have never really seen this, they have incredible talent. And most of it is either unemployed or underemployed. And when you're underemployed, it means you don't have a job that fits your gifts and abilities. Um, so there's an opportunity there. And what happens is that these folks often become entrepreneurs. I've heard from some really good organizations that do kind of statistics, over 70% of Africans you could call entrepreneurs. And this is a continent of one well, almost one and a half billion. Imagine that. Um, and, and that's everything from microfinance entrepreneurs to midsize entrepreneurs to scale. Some of those really start to get it right. And when they get that equation right, um, that's where talent and can come alongside them with responsible financing and much more than that, support. Prayer, you know, bringing in our investor community. By the way, our investor community is loaded with talent, and they—they they, many of them are volunteering time on boards and helping us go to scale. So we're in Kenya, um, Burundi, with one great coffee investment, Rwanda, and Uganda. Uh, for now, we're just in those four East African countries. Mm. Yeah,
2: and I would say those are also four African countries that. As countries, they're on the more economic development side that's also helping these businesses be able to scale because the country itself has scaled. Um, They're not all just third world backwards countries. Um, where they don't have governments supporting some of this.
0: Well, that's a wonderful point you made, and I would 100% agree. Um, there's 54 countries in Africa, and they're all different. And within those countries, there's often you know 10, 20, hundreds of tribes. They're all different. So there's a huge amount of diversity across the continent, and you really have to look country by country for those uh, established success stories, and the countries we choose are those ones that are getting it right. And and when those countries get it right, they, things happen that are very exciting. So yeah, uh, during COVID, um, seven of the ten most resilient economies in the world that did not go negative GDP were in Africa, and all three of them are are the ones we go to. And Rwanda is was at ten percent GDP before COVID. They dropped to plus plus four percent GDP during COVID, which is still great. America would have loved that. Mm. And now they're back to nine percent GDP. So these are imagine a country growing ten percent GDP a year. It creates a lot of opportunity. Within that, there's still four or 500 million people who are either in poverty or still very poor. And so there's this mix of entrepreneurism. Mid-sized businesses, a lot of opportunity, but they still need good jobs. So, why small to medium enterprises? I think you just kind of teased out that answer,
1: but <laughs> but why small to medium enterprises? And then also, would you give us some just an overview of some of the investments you guys have made, some of the companies that um, that, that Talton's invested in? Yeah, yeah in some can, like yeah, stories
0: about them. I can't wait to share those stories. I'll start with your your small medium sized enterprise, then I'll pivot to some wonderful stories. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the small, medium-sized enterprise in any economy, even our economy, are the ones that create the most jobs. Everyone thinks it's all the multinationals, and multinationals create a lot of jobs. But most people end up working for a small or medium-sized company, and that's the same in Africa so it's really the engine of what uh, what uh, generates significant innovation in an economy and where uh, people can generally latch onto and find meaningful work so we we love those mid-sized businesses that are already on a trajectory of growth it takes a lot to get up to a hundred or two or three hundred thousand in sales anywhere, but especially in some of these countries in Africa. So these these entrepreneurs are already kind of heroic, but they still struggle to get to three or four million in sales. And that's where you can create meaningful work for thousands. So that's the whole goal of of Talent. And we're finding hundreds of these mid-sized businesses. It's not a, it's that's been a huge kind of breakthrough in terms of when we set up Talentin. A lot of people said, You're not gonna find deal flow, you're not gonna find pipeline. It's been the opposite. And we have wonderful partners like the Navigators, like a lot of Christian organizations that have boots on the ground that are now introducing us to business people they're working with. So that's been super helpful, along with a whole bunch of other people introducing us to companies. So now, do you want a couple stories? Love some stories. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of our most kind of great stories in our portfolio is—I'll is, is I'll start with Masaka Creamery. Masaka Creamery is in uh, Rwanda. And it was one of the most popular yogurt brands in Rwanda, and Rwanda is a market of about 10 million. But right across the border in Congo, there's 30 million people, and then just north in Uganda, there's another 20 million, and then just south in there's a, So it's, it, when you look at the market potential, it's 60, 70, 80 million. So this is not a tiny little country. The market potential is significant. And they have free trade agreements with a lot of their neighbors. But anyways, back to back to Bissaka. Bissaka, uh was a was a, a popular brand that the company went. Bankrupt. They, they were shut down because of food safety violations, and in about 2015 2016, there was a young Christian guy. I think he's been on this podcast, John Porter. That's right. Who stepped in, and John actually uh, really uh, saw that had a vision for this company, and started hiring, bought the company for pennies on the dollar, started hiring for the deaf community. He thought it was going to be a sacrifice. It was one of the best decisions he ever made. These are talented folks. They are committed to what they're doing. They're highly engaged and they are networked. They bring in other great deaf talent. And now the company is 60% deaf, doubled in size this last year. And they have 10 interns, all deaf. And now what they're doing now across Rwanda is a demonstration effective. you could hire and work with people with disabilities and give them meaningful work. And in return, you get incredibly talented, engaged employees who bring a lot of benefits to the business. It's a real low turnover. Yeah. We were one of Masaka's first big investors, so we were in pretty early. So, uh, And we, I continue to serve on the board, so it's been a great, fun journey. Do you want another story? Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll share the story of Contegra. So Contegra is a a business that is involved in growing chrysanthemums. The version of chrysanthemum is called pyrethrum. It's a beautiful white flower. That little yellow center in the middle of this beautiful white flower is loaded with an ingredient that's very hard to get at. It's a bioextract process and you can pull out of it Pyrethrum refined extract, which was the pesticide for organic farming worldwide, and uniquely in Kenya because it's close to the equator, the elevation, uh, chrysanthemums like this can grow at scale. And and uh, the beauty of it is, it's all done by smallholder farmers. Now there is some commercial farms. Those are starting to grow. That's actually a good thing for the industry, and Contegra is helping do that. But by far and away, it's it's thousands and thousands. They're working with over twenty thousand smallholder farmers now. When te- when when Talentin first entered in, they had three hundred thousand in sales. Um, they were uh, living month to month on cash flow. It was a risky investment for us, but we love the faith of the management team. We love the potential for impact, and we really finished off their first big round of investments. And it was our biggest investment at the time and still is one of our biggest investments. We've added two more tranches since then. And I've had the joy of serving on the board and watching this in a front row seat To the point now where there there are going to be $8 in sales this year. Mm -hmm. And they have over 40 um, engineers, all Kenyans, giving lab technicians. These are really hard to come by jobs in Kenya. They have over 40 agronomists working with the smallholder farmers. So this is a business that not only is giving incredible programs to these farmers, they're partnering with Crown Financial, who has a program for smallholder farmers, which is a great story. They're just into entering some conversations with bringing some financing to these smallholder farmers. So there's a lot of things they're doing to help them beyond just buying their flowers, which, by the way, most of them that get into this flower farming, they increase their incomes sometimes 7, 10x. And we, um, I, I was, uh, I had the
1: joy of MC in an event for Teleton, uh, an investor event earlier this year, and got to see some some more stories, um, even about that, and and even specifically a farmer because um, uh, that had transitioned from from raising maize to, um, to these flowers, um, and how that has been massive because actually the drought that, uh, that happened would have been, had he still been in maize correct me if I'm wrong here, um, it would have been devastating to him and his family, but instead through the, through, through the partnership with Contegra and the growing of these flowers, um, he was actually even able to build himself a, a better
0: home for his family and things like that. Is that, am I, got the story right? Yeah. Yeah. I can assure us. Yeah. You're very close to being exactly right, Eric. There's a guy named Duncan, a farmer. That we've highlighted on some some videos because he just has such an inspiring story. Duncan had a had a mud hut. It's 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 the perception of what a lot of people have of how a lot of people live in Africa. Now there's tons of Africans who are living in mud huts, so I want to be clear about that. Duncan was, and Duncan was a sincere, dedicated farmer. And many farmers in uh, Africa and Kenya um, have kind of low self-esteems. They 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 view themselves as poor, and they also view their farms as kind of food security. And subsistence, nothing more than that. And when you impart a vision to them that their, their farm is a noble calling, that it can be a scalable business, that done right, you can diversify your risk through different crops, you can take those crops to scale and increase yields, you can get training in agronomy, you can learn to access markets, you can become savvy through your, your smartphone on apps and how to do market pricing. Contegra helps with all of that. And they help these farmers go far beyond just providing flowers. Duncan actually was a first mover into these chrysanthemums, and what the beauty of these type of flower is that it it, it, you harvest it ten months a year, so you harvest it when it when it blooms at the right point in time. It creates a smooth cash flow for these farmers compared to a traditional crop, which is highly seasonal. These farmers have something they refer to in Africa they call the hunger season and those farmers that are in in between those crops a lot of grain crops they're hungry they might eat one meal a day mm. and their kids you know are trying to go to school or working in the fields chrysanthemum can help smooth that income, and it's a non-food crop, which is valuable. It brings in cash. So they're going to always grow some maize for food security. It's very cultural, but they don't need to grow as much maize as they do. So to take some of that maize, like you said, Eric, and transition it to a high-value crop that brings in cash, they can begin to save for the future. They can buy things like Duncan now has a brick house with a metal roof, and he has got electricity hookups entering into this business has really transformed him and his family's lives. All right. Let's see. Let's talk about burn. I love burn. <laughs> you love burn? I love burn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah burn, burn manufacturing is another one of our investments. It's, uh, you know, it, the image of a cook stove is that it's for aid agencies or and that sort of thing. The truth is, is that eighty percent of Africans still use cook stoves, and a cook stove is simply a, like a, about an eighteen inch diameter. They throw in various forms of charcoal or wood, and it's it's a stove. It's it's a, it's pretty rudimentary. Burn has figured out how to make one of these that's very very environmentally friendly, and they work with partners that supply environmentally friendly briquettes. And uh, the beauty of Burn is that it leaves very little toxins. A lot of times these uh, folks that are using these uh, have very bad health impacts. So uh, this is a much clean, 80% better clean uh, energy. But the beauty of this stove is that it really uses far less wood and timber, far less. So it generates significant carbon credits. So for Talenton, we funded 80,000 of these stoves. It was really a form of project financing. And we took them to a whole other group of people that didn't have this kind of wonderful new stove. And we got a base rate on a loan that's favorable for our investors, but significant upside by generating carbon credits. And there's a whole th- lot to unpack there. We don't have time today, but it's it's a neat investment that's really protective of the environment in a, in a way we, we call creation care. This is God's creation, and, and but doing it in a way that it provides a very affordable stove to uh, thousands of people for better health impact and better for the environment.
1: All right. Uh, I also think about, uh, I want to hear a little bit more of an update. When, when we were at the, the conference, you were just announcing an investment into a tilapia farm uh and uh, a large scale tilapia. how what's going on there?
0: Yeah, uh, it's one of our newer investments and we're really excited about it. Uh, tilapia is a wonderful form of protein in, in countries that are used to just having chickens and beef. those are like far less efficient and more costly to get to scale than a a typical fish. And so, it's wonderful to have affordable forms of protein. Protein is often deficient. In the first five years of life, uh, protein deficiency leads to huge negative outcomes. Uh, Kids' brains don't develop the same and they have uh, a lifelong impact and they're often stunted in their growth. So, affordable protein, the product itself is impactful. But the beauty of this is that it's creating uh, hundreds of good jobs. And not just within the the tilapia business, It's in southern Lake Kivu in Rwanda, by the way. And um, it's right on the border of Burundi and the Congo. And these often women, market women, they're quite hardworking, will come right to the place where they bring the fish in every day um, on a boat from the fish farms out out in Lake Kivu. And they'll buy right there on the spot. They're very discerning, these women. They, they measure each fish. They study each fish. They they pay them by size and weight and quality. And they will they throw back stuff they don't want. I mean, they're very... And then they take it to market, and, and they make good money every day. It's their way of making a living. And uh, so it provides not only direct employment at the fish business itself... And it provides also an opportunity for all of these market women to go out and take this to wherever they go, and it reaches a lot of across Rwanda, across the Congo, um, uh, to sell this fish to people who are hungry for a protein diet.
2: Here in the U.S., we often stock our all of our streams and all of our lakes for thing for fish. Is that part of this process also? For the tilapia?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Tilapia is grown in these fish pens. And um, the the very interesting thing about the fishing industry and lots of these big lakes in Central Africa is it's actually tied a lot to the sex trafficking and human trafficking trade. These are poor communities. And they often... You've heard the old saying, you know, teach a man to fish. And, uh, you know, he's got a livelihood. I actually don't love that. Um, it's not a bad thing. You know, I would call that very, very micro. They might be slightly less poor, but they're still poor. Mm -hmm. It's much better to get a fish pen for those folks that can grow thousands of fish and teaching them how to run a fishing business. And, and uh, that's what these businesses do is they actually have their own fish pens, but then they partner sometimes with aid agencies, the, the ones that are good to work with. With. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll get these villages a fish pen of their own, and they'll teach them how to how to work it together. And so they go from a single fisherman catching a handful of fish every day to creating a business that's scalable. So you know, there's no stocking that. Uh, yes, some escape out into the lake, but typically they stay in the pen, and uh, they they. The one we invested in has a whole fingerling development. There's a whole process of of going from a hatchery to fingerlings. It takes about nine months in the pen. There's a lot of technology around fish feed. So this is not a low-tech business. It takes a lot of know-how at the right lake temperature, the right depth, um, even, even the right disease maintenance and that sort of thing. This business knows how to do all that. So we're excited to see what they're going to do. We think they could grow 510X and generate significant impact in that region of the world.
2: It's so neat. I can honestly say I just learned I had no idea that there were (laughs) things called fish pens. So that's fun to hear and fun to learn.
1: You, you bring up a good point, and, and I think it's good for us to talk about um, here. And so, love to hear your thoughts. Um, you uh, definitely have a bent towards investing, but yet at the same time, you also believe that there is, and as do we on the generosity now podcast, believe there's a place for donation dollars. And yeah. and, and, and and you talked about microfinancing and larger scale financing. Would you give us kind of you know, we're, we're going to pull on your your, your theological um, uh, strings and uh, give us some 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 thoughts on donations versus micro.
0: Versus larger scale financing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to wrap all that around a theological perspective. (laughs) Um, First of all, I I really believe that uh, grants and donations are critical in many circumstances. And you know, we work with some fantastic partners that are nonprofits and they're doing training for entrepreneurs. They have these things they call accelerator models. It's really not ready to be an investment model yet, um, but they really lay the groundwork for what we're doing. So we're thankful for those partners and they're essential. And there's even some aid programs that are doing some good things. I would say many of them are doing things that I might question, but the ones that are doing some wonderful things are doing things like helping businesses understand how to Develop a business plan for a pitch event. And they might host a pitch event and they bring in investors like Talented and we give them feedback. And occasionally one of those comes into our investment pipeline. So there's this great puzzle piece that needs to be put together of, of charitable organizations, donation-based organizations that are doing things that a for-profit just couldn't do. Uh, but I believe there is a, it's critical for a business that's going to scale to have a true investor come alongside them earlier than later in their development. Because the the nice thing about that is you've both incentivized um, to focus on what really matters. And that's generally positive cash flow. You know if you can have a healthy balance sheet and get to where you're generating positive cash flow and you understand markets and revenue and uh, the basics of running a good business, you get into strategy. A true investment fund has those capabilities and Talenton has those capabilities. and, and we can come alongside them in a unique way that uh, that a nonprofit might struggle to do. For Talentin, we, we believe that um, that God wired everyone to work mm-hmm. and has given people gifts and abilities that can be um, really celebrated through meaningful work, not just a, a mediocre bad job, but a job that might fit them in their gifts and their passions. And And the goal of, um, of what we do in due diligence and post-investment support, really we want to serve our investors by giving them incredible participation in stories of giving people opportunities to work for God's glory yeah. so they can use those gifts to bless their families, bless their communities. Um, so it's really about that if you wanted to boil it down theologically.
2: So, John, we just would love for you to share with all of our listeners how people can get involved with Talenton.
0: Yeah, great question. There's a number of ways to get involved with talent, and most of our investors have deployed capital where they've already taken a tax benefit through a donor advised foundation or something like that. But we have investors too, that looked at us and said, we love what you're doing. And we want to diversify our portfolio. And we have private alternative of investors that look at us as a straight up investment just to diversify their portfolio. And we have family foundations and family offices and different types of uh, folks involved in in Talanton, uh, but the, the the heavyweight investor for us at this point of our development has been um, donor advised foundations that have really stepped forward and said, "We love what you're doing. It's good stewardship, and we love the impact. It's in line with our faith and our values, and uh, and that's where uh, people really resonate."
1: Well, it's so great. We will go ahead and link to Talanton's website in our show notes and and let you go take a look there. Well, thank you, John, for being on the show. Um, On the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. Seriously, share it with your network. If you know somebody that would be blessed by this conversation, share it to you and your friends right now. And today I'm going to give a a doxology out of um, Matthew 25 uh, where Taliton got their name. Go and look at verses 14 through 34. But today we're going to come out of 19 through 21. So now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with him. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Thank you so much. Be blessed.
2: Thanks for being here, John.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.